One of the most common times people think about their own development is when starting a new leadership role. Today, I welcome Pam Fox Rollin to teach us five rules we should all follow in a new leadership role, plus 37 more. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode number 98. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. This is a weekly coaching show to help people be better leaders through improved communications, human relations, and personal productivity. And this is the midst of a series on reinventing ourselves and reinventing yourself and what you can do to take action to reinvent yourself if you're trying to do that right now. And as I mentioned in the intro, one of the most common times a lot of us think of this is when we're taking on a new leadership role. And I'm so glad to welcome my guest, Pam Fox Rollin, who's the author of 42 Rules for Your New Leadership Role. Uh, Pam is an expert executive coach, and I'll introduce her here more in a moment when we jump into the interview. She's got some wonderful tips and strategies on uh, what we can do anytime we're jumping into that new leadership role. So that's how we uh, get, that's where the 37 comes from. Five we're going to talk about in this episode. The other 37 are in the book, uh, but it's a great book, and I'm really excited to talk to her. So here's my conversation with Pam Fox Rollin. I'm excited to introduce my guest this week, Pam Fox Rollin. Pam coaches executives and senior teams to lead even more effectively at companies throughout the Bay Area where she's located and across the world. Pam coaches and consults with CXO through director levels in technology, consulting, healthcare, government, and NGOs. And she's also the author of the book 42 Rules to Your New Leadership Role, the manual they didn't hand you when you made VP, director, or manager, which has made Amazon's top 10 in management and leadership. And I want to also mention that I got connected with Pam originally about uh, two or three years ago. Um, Some of my you in the listening audience know that I did my doctoral dissertation on executive coaches and how they use the Myers-Briggs type indicator. And Pam is an expert on MBTI. And uh, it, got a, it got to a point in the process where I needed to talk to someone helpful and smart. <laughs> and so um, Pam's name came across my uh, radar screen and I reached out to her and she was so gracious and helping out. And Pam, I really appreciate all that help you gave a couple years ago. And I'm so glad to get reconnected with you. Welcome to the show. My pleasure, Dr. Stachowiak. Yeah, yeah. No, I. Congratulations. I'm, thanks. I'm done now. <laughs> it's nice to be done. It's nice to be done. At least with the formal learning, we're never done with this informal learning. And uh, and actually, that, that's part of what we're going to talk about today because um, you've written this great book on how to how to jump into this new leadership role, and um, I'm in the midst of a series here on how we can reinvent ourselves. And one of the times that we really need to be thinking about how we do things differently or maybe reinventing ourselves is when we take on that new leadership role. And you've done a lot of thinking on this and also worked with a lot of clients that have been in this situation. And so I thought we'd, um, you know, we don't have time to go through all 42 rules today, but I thought we'd take five of these that you've detailed and and jump in and just take a look at what uh, you know, what are things that we should be thinking about if we do jump into a new leadership role? Sounds good, Dave. So, Where do you want to start? 
Yeah. Well, let's see here. So um, I, I pulled a bunch of them and let's let's start with rule number six. You call this rule leveraging the honeymoon. Uh, tell me about that because honeymoon usually we think about in marriages, right? <laughs> And in a way, you're, you're, I haven't described it this way before, but since you set me up that way, Dave, you're kind of marrying a new company. You're getting to know each other. And, and sometimes you've um, cohabitated by consulting in with the company. Maybe you had a different role with the company a while ago. But really, you've stepped it up to a, a new relationship, a new role, new reporting relationships, all of that. And you're figuring out, you know, how do you load the dishwasher as well as what does this role mean and where are you aiming to go? Um, what do you want to achieve in this in this role? So I don't want to overdo the metaphor, but people usually give you a little bit of a break at the beginning to ask questions and especially build relationships that are harder to do later on. Yeah, and you mentioned in your book that the the psychological biases are in your favor here on the front end and that you really only have a little bit of time to to I don't know if take advantage of that is the right word, but but to leverage that in the right way. Um why is it that we only get that that short amount of time to really be able to leverage that? Well, people naturally um it, it, there's a there's a, a cross-cultural graciousness about the new person, right? If mm. they're going to welcome you at all, they're, and, and not every environment, of course, is welcoming. But if there is a welcoming spirit, you get a little bit of time. And um, I'll, I'll address the flip side of that in a few minutes because there's so, some cultures in which you um, um, there's almost a hazing period. Um, that you have to get through. But in any case, however it comes across in that culture, there's that there's a window of being the new guy that tends to fade after a couple months, roughly. Hmm. And during that period, they're sussing you out and figuring out who is this person? Um, can Fundamental questions. Can I trust this person? Can I rely on this person? Is this somebody who makes commitments and then keeps them? Is this somebody who I enjoy? All that getting to know you stuff impacts how new leaders succeed in their jobs. And in particular, what people often don't realize until later is there was that time period for curious ignorance, where you mm. can go around the halls, Dave, and say, hi, I'm, I'm Pam, I'm in this particular role, and I'm really wondering what your part of the operation does and, and what you count on my team for, what I should be counting on you for, all of that. I'd love to get a chance to talk with you. Just by going and having those conversations, even if just with the few upstream operations to your group and downstream from your group, you build that that um, initial relationship so that if you need to go back in a couple months to your an upstream group say and and say, "Wow, we're experiencing some problems with the materials we're receiving from you." And I really would like to talk with you about that and see what we can do to get back on track. If you've taken advantage of the honeymoon, you have seen that person, they've seen you, and you have a bit of an entree into that conversation. 
that you wouldn't have if you just went in cold. Hmm. And is that the the thing that a lot of times people miss is starting off and making those initial connections and and or are there other things that people tend to miss in that honeymoon phase too? I think the big one that people tend to miss is the non-obvious but absolutely critical relationships. Hmm. So your boss's peers, uh, the people on your team who may not have a senior role but have been there a long time, the people at your peer level who have been in the organization a while or been in other parts of the organization and may have a perspective on it that you don't understand. Uh I think people come in and they're so overwhelmed, especially these days. Inboxes are full before the person gets close to starting. There's a huge pile of really tough decisions that need to be made because if they were easy, your team would have made them already. Often positions, especially here in Silicon Valley, have been open for a while because even though there's people looking for work, it's a pretty tight labor market out here. And especially for people with critical technical and project leadership skills, global leadership skills. So by the time the person comes in, there's this huge stack of decisions to wade through. And it's easy to see how somebody would prioritize that over building relationships and yet even just a little bit of investment i say do not eat alone from the day that you're you have that job off or or even really um you're doing that final set of interviews go have lunch with people throughout the organization take those few minutes to have coffee wander the halls a little bit An investment of a few hours a week in that could make a huge difference later on and you mentioned a minute ago something that I think a lot of times people wouldn't think of is one of those constituencies being your boss's peers. Some of the other groups I think people would naturally gravitate toward, but why is your boss's peers one real important uh, constituency for you to build connections with? Those are the people that matter a lot in your boss's world. And also, typically, you've got critical relationships with your uh, your level folks that report to your boss's peers. Now, not all organizations are structured that way. And certainly, um, as you've seen many times in organizations, it varies as to how formal the communications are. In some organizations, it just wouldn't be okay to go and just approach your your, your boss's peers and say, hey, I'm in this role, I want to go have coffee. Sure. Um, and in other organizations, it absolutely would. But what you really want to do is understand their world so that you can form the kind of collaborations, whether it's around the ongoing work or new initiatives, challenges, um, so you know who to go to and what matters to them? Hmm. There's another role in there about figuring out, mapping what matters to the people who matter to your team. Because if you don't know that, it's hard to craft a business case for the kind of changes you're probably aiming to create. So speaking of figuring things out, you say in rule number 12, you need to deal with your weak spots. And this this might be heresy on a coaching for leaders show, but you say 
skip yourself, skip self-improvement. I don't remember the exact quote, but um, don't worry about it. And, uh, and, you know, it's it's so easy to be like, wow, that's so different than what you normally hear. But I think you make a really important case for this, Pam. Could you explain what you mean by that? Sure. Overall, lifetime-wise, I'm all for self-improvement. Um, but while you're starting a new role, it is a tremendously demanding time for some reasons that are obvious, right? You've got to learn a new group, sometimes a new industry, new people. And some things that are less obvious, there's a lot of brain research, and I know you read up on this stuff too, that anything new sparks circuits in the brain and you're being distracted by the the new location of the bathroom as well as the new right. ring of your phone and the different operating system you have to use on your desktop. And, you know, all of that stuff is taking cognitive energy. And so it's not usually a time when you get a chance to really do the hard work of self-improvement. So having a realistic assessment of the things that are tough for you to do, um, I think is just super important on the way in. And when I coach leaders who are uh, stepping into new roles, we look really realistically at the things that they're, you know, kind of lousy at, inefficient at, don't do well, Mm -hmm. and find some ways around that. Well, and and that's interesting you say that because you mentioned this in your chapter too on the, the next step of that is kind of figuring out where your weak spots are, but um, rather than going through and trying to spend a lot of time on getting better at that, of leveraging the resources from experts and even paying experts to help you to fill in some of those gaps, whether those are internal or external. Could you say more about that? Yeah, I, I'm, I've been astonished, Dave, and now I'm getting more used to the things that people will pay experts to do and I think it doesn't occur to people earlier in their career that if they're lousy at creating PowerPoint presentations and their company doesn't have a graphics department to do it for them they could just find somebody on the outside and pay them a hundred bucks and have them make a presentation Mm -hmm. now sometimes it's way more complicated than that there's complicated vendor relationships there's all sorts of things Um, but in many cases your organization is already contracting with an incredible amount of people uh, outside your organization to do spot tasks. And I see new leaders really stumble in having to be good at something they've never been good at, whether it's running numbers in a certain way or making a certain type of presentation. And you want to find somebody, whether it's somebody in your group, somebody who's in an adjacent group who maybe you can horse trade some resources and borrow that person's skills for a while um, or pay on the outside. And there are some folks, often people in marketing are really great with writing contracts for things because they're so used to using vendors for design and media buys and list management and all sorts of stuff. But I find that folks in other functions are less familiar with doing that and it simply doesn't occur to them not to spend their weekend doing something that they're really bad at. 
I'm so glad you mentioned this as one of the rules, because I I see this all the time, too, and I see it in others. And of course, I don't see it in myself. But this is something I really struggle with, too, Pam, is, Mm -hmm. you know, and I I don't know what it is, is maybe some of us, you know, who get into leadership roles or have that type A personality, we're just used to doing stuff and getting things done. And it just doesn't occur to us a lot of times that it it's actually a disservice as a leader if we're not investing our time and resources in the things that really only we can do that other people can't do. And and I know this is a huge obstacle for me still. Yeah, and I think there's there's um, an even broader theme that you're you're touching on, which is many of us become leaders and and I don't always equate leadership with title, but here I'm talking about people who are stepping into to new roles, new titles. And they earn those positions by being great at what they were doing before. Yeah. And so it's so tempting to do the things that you know how to do, especially when your brain is just buffeted by all the newness. You're like, okay, you know, I know how to do a, uh, you know, a really killer spreadsheet or I know how to power through doing something I'm bad at, so I'll just yeah. do it. I know how to be <laughs> self-reliant. And that to me is the biggest phenomenon that tanks leaders nine, 12 months down the road because here's what happens, oh, and I'm sure you've seen this. They are tremendously exhausted. Yeah. So they're not thinking well. If they're not thinking well, they're not making great decisions. They're also not out building the relationships and doing strategic thinking about the business. So they're starting to be seen as somebody who is, you know, a hardworking, tactical implementation person instead of the leader they thought they hired. Mm. And a lot of that can be turned around early by really rigorously saying, who else can take this on? What is the part of it, as you suggested, that only I can do? Um, Which parts am I too inexperienced or inefficient at that that somebody could be paid to do, et cetera, so that I could really do the leadership work that I was hired to do? Mm, Great advice, Pam. So you also say one of the rules is uh, and this one's rule number 20, communicate early and often. And in particular, you spend some time talking about the importance of explaining decisions that you're making as a leader. What do you mean by that? And why is that important? Well, it's important because our brains are really good at making things up. And so people will see you act. They'll see you say something in a team meeting. Hey, let's Uh, pursue this particular aspect of this product and they'll make up why it is that you want to do that they'll say oh you know I guess she's prioritizing this part of the product versus the other part of the product because she thinks the person on the other part of the product is a weak leader and will not be able to lead the team to success and and so um, she's just hedging an implementation risk Okay, that could have absolutely nothing to do with it, yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> so people can just and and sometimes when I'm facilitating teams and conflict, 
and somebody says something provocative and, and I see people flinch, I say, would you just write down on a note what you think that person meant by that comment? Hmm. And then I'll, I'll gather them up and just with no attribution, just read the diversity of the notes. And there's eight people in the room and there's seven different interpretations of what that eighth person said. Oh, interesting. And so especially when you're new, people don't know what you usually mean, what you could have meant. You may be coming from a different um, industry, a different part of the organization. So they're really unfamiliar with your mindsets and frames of reference and you're unfamiliar with theirs. And sometimes you'll use a hot button word that you had no idea that agile you know, if you say that word, people turn purple because I had a difficult experience last year with an Agile initiative, right? You, you know, so, so they're making it up. And meanwhile, you're thinking you're communicating. So explaining the reasoning behind your decision helps get people aligned and on track and also can help the development process because you want to develop great leaders in your organization who can make good decisions. And oh, yeah. having them learn how you reason can really be development for them. And also learning how they reason could really teach you a lot as well. Oh, that's smart. So you, you really do get a lot of benefits by doing that and explaining your decisions. I think so. And, and people are hesitant. They they don't want to take up time. They don't want to repeat themselves. And I think a lot of folks underestimate how critical it is to stay on message. And that's a, a lesson political leaders learned early on. But organizational leaders often need to experience the difference between just saying it once versus really staying on message. Yeah, and you mentioned this hesitancy to repeat themselves or repeat ourselves. And I see this all the time too, Pam, where someone needs to communicate something really critical to their organization and they'll say it once or it'll go in an email or a PowerPoint slide and they'll say, okay, I'm done. <laughs> and and really, it's it's so critical for that repetition, isn't it? It is. I, I'm working with a CIO right now who is uh, leading the information technology and medical technology and clinical innovation through a really um, fascinating and challenging time in the organization and aiming to clarify, consolidate, align the organization's culture so that they can bring in a lot more people and achieve even higher performance. Mm -hmm. And what's been critical over the last few months um, because there hasn't been a lot of time for culture change offsites and all this sort of thing, is he just keeps talking about it. And it's it's subtle. So he'll say, oh, that's really interesting. What a great example of, you know, and he gives a name to the pillar <laughs> of the culture. Um, and he'll ask about it at the beginning of his leadership team meetings. Hey, how are you doing with our cultural value around this and that? And just having it be fresh in people's mind on a regular basis mm. his leadership team members have told me that that's the number one thing that's kept the culture alive for them is hearing their leader ask about it wow. every weekly meeting 
And, you know, it's fascinating, Pam, that that's not a hard thing to do. In fact, it's really simple on its face. It's just doing it consistently over time. That really makes, it sounds like in that situation, makes the difference. Okay, so rule number 33, you say stay current and capable. So we talked earlier about how, you know, start when starting the new role, it may not be the time to do a lot of self-improvement, but staying current and, and knowing what's going on obviously is still key. So could you talk some about what the leaders that you work with do to stay current and stay capable and maybe what you do, how you leverage technology and how you keep going, keep up on what's going on in the world? Sure. So if you imagined yourself in, in the shoes of somebody who has been doing a job search, whether they're already in a job, but they know that they're ready for something else or rather that they've had a period uh, away from, from working, they are reading industry blogs, they're talking to people, they're going to industry meetings, they're thinking about it, keeping fresh, being ready to answer questions, and then they get in, right? And mm-hmm. we've talked about the, just the pile of decisions that's waiting for them, all the things that they need to do. And often people forget to stay fresh. And it's so easy to happen. And nine months later, they're like, really? The supply chain in our industry changed? How did I not know that? Mm, (laughs) Yeah. I can see how that would happen, though. Yeah. And nobody can stay on top of everything these days. It's just impossible. There's way too much stuff out there. So it's just a question of investing a portion of your week in the highest quality and in some cases most diverse sources that you can. Mm. And the the executives I work with who I see do this really well use social media. Often, often they're not on it and they don't participate. Some do, some don't. Uh, but they are reading. And they're also talking with people. And one thing that that I really encourage the, the leaders I coach with to do is to over time build their network inside and outside the organization. And having a common interest is a great way to do it. So you can pick up the phone to somebody who's recommended to you as someone knowledgeable about supply chain in an adjacent industry and say, hey, I'm interested in supply chain issues. You know, might we have lunch together? I'd like to just get to know you and talk a little bit and 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 you know share a common interest. Mm. And invariably, they will say yes, and you get together, and suddenly you get smart about what's going on in an adjacent industry supply chain. So you can start asking better questions. If you keep a discipline of doing that, Dave, week in and week out. For several years, you're going to be one of the most knowledgeable people in your company about the issues that you think are strategically important. Plus, when you're ready for your next career move, there's a bunch of people who you have a relationship with. And I'm guessing like many of these things that particularly when you get into that new leadership role, time is of the essence and just making that time to do it is is key. And so... um, for people that you've seen who have done that well, Pam, is there anything that they do? Is it that do they schedule time to do it each week? Is there something that people do that helps them to stay accountable for it that you've seen work really well? Yeah, I think for most people, actually scheduling time to do it. And yeah. 
um, it's people vary about how and when and 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 just how how they interact with it, whether it's something on their smartphone early in the morning, whether it is while they're exercising, whether they formally schedule time on their calendar, whatever it is. But just to make the regular discipline to keep building relationships and keep learning is critical. And it may not have been five, ten years ago, but it certainly is now because the world is moving very, very fast. And I think that key, too, about making those relationships, I love that you focus on that because it's so easy to get caught up online and just read a lot and not really interact with people. And so that that actual next step of reaching out and making that connection with people is is key as well, particularly, you know, in a, in a leadership capacity. You know, I've um, really enjoyed Twitter for that reason. You know, people say, oh, gosh, do I need to get on Twitter? No, you don't need to get on. You don't need to get on any of these things. And you can mm-hmm. certainly choose the ones that you enjoy because there's too many to do all of them. Right. So yeah. pick one or two that have a format that you enjoy and do it. But what I started to see happen for me on Twitter is people who I would have wanted to connect with anyway, business leaders in the Bay Area, people who are uh, leadership professors who whose work I appreciate, et cetera, they'll see my tweets or I'll retweet something that, that they do. And then one of us follows up with the other. Um, I've had a number of people just really lovely reach out to me and say, hey, I'm going to be in Silicon Valley next week and I would love to have coffee and meet you. I've so enjoyed um, what you've shared on Twitter and let's just get to know each other a little bit. Oh, cool. And Yeah. And those have led to client referrals for me, but they've also led to just having some, some thought partnership, somebody you can ask questions to Dave, similar to how you and I connected. Yeah. Yeah. I think you and I talked on Twitter actually the first time. Very cool. Okay, so we've talked a lot about career. And one of the things you say toward the end of the book, though, and rule number 40 is now also lead with your life in mind. So it's not just about, uh, you know, thinking about your job, but also creating the type of calendar and the type of purpose that you want. So what mindset do leaders need to have as far as what actions they should take around controlling their calendar? Yeah, and you and I both come from a place where mindset is really powerful. How are you thinking about this? Because that will drive your actions. And I encourage people to take as much charge of their life and their time as they do of their department and their business goals. And for some, that's a really big stretch. For others, it's obvious, but then they need to line up the activities underneath there that really make it happen. So, yes, your first three months, six months of a new role, you um, may need to put an unsustainable level of effort into that new role. And there'll be periods later on um, in any role where there's a period of time where you're working at a level that's unsustainable. Let's just note that it's unsustainable, right? Right. And so then to think about the things that make your life and health and family relationships sustainable and also delightful. I mean, this is is your life, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's no necessarily mythical balance out there. It's just a question of 
is this something that you can do and stay healthy? I've had several friends, clients, colleagues who have wrecked their health and wrecked their marriage within 18 months of a job that um, sucked the life out of them and that they didn't manage really well. And for some of them, I think they could have negotiated some different arrangements so Mm. um, that they're not traveling every week or um, that they're not in the office until nine or 10 every night. In other cases, maybe they couldn't have, but the price that they paid was worth was higher than the job was worth to them in some cases. Yeah. And to really encourage people to put a date on their calendar, Dave, where they are going to check in with themselves. And they might invite a coach to do that along with them or a good friend or sit down with their partner and say, okay, I've been in this job four months. Now, what do I do so that I can keep going in this role, but also live the kind of life be the kind of person um, that I want to be in this world. And you really point out beautifully, Pam, in the book that this is not something that anyone else is ever going to do for you. <laughs> that, you know, yes, you can get people that will help you, and coaches are one great example of that, but that you really do need to take the first step on that. No one is going to prioritize that if you don't. No one's going to. Uh, limit your travel schedule if you don't make the case for it or whatever else is important around you building purpose around. That's right. And and that's really the message of this whole book. Nobody is going to do your onboarding right unless you are looking out for your own onboarding and taking charge of your start. Sure, people will give you a security clearance and a, a new cell phone, but yeah. that just doesn't even begin to get you on board in an organization. If you have a great boss, they might be useful at introducing you to a third of the people that you need to know in the organization, but you're going to have to figure the rest of that out. And same thing for guiding where your life goes as you take on this, this work. Pam, before I let you go, I, you know, you work with a lot of really intelligent people who are in very successful positions. You've also been really successful yourself in building your business and being an influencer and a leader in many venues. I'm curious, what's something you've discovered about yourself along the way that's helped make you a better leader in the work you do? Mm, I am very comfortable with complexity to a degree that is not useful in most circumstances. And I've had to learn that simplicity wins and that I can think through whatever number of models and frameworks and research and all of this. I mean, this book is a case in point. It's part of a series of really practical books that this publisher has, has published. And some of the books were written in two months. I wrote it. In two years, uh, because I wanted to do extensive interviews over 50 people and and do a lot of research. And yet I had to bring it back to the simplicity that's on that far side of complexity and have it just be quick and readable so that somebody who is on an airplane the weekend before they start their job can just get something out of it in whatever 15 minutes or an hour they have to dive into the book. Hmm. And I that when I when I lead to that I have to actively remind myself okay bring them the simplicity 
from all this that you've been thinking about. I don't mean simplistic. I work with really bright people and I admire uh, the people that I've worked with in all the leadership situations I've been in. Um, they're certainly bright enough to handle any degree of complexity, but their world is busy and simple messages really get through. So that's that's my tough and ongoing lesson, Dave. Well, it's a great one for us to to leave our audience with, Pam. Hey, uh, how can people best connect with you and and grab the book? What's the best way for folks to stay in touch with you if they'd like to uh, stay uh, current on what you're up to? Thank you. If you go to ideashape.com, up in the top right, there's a subscription box, and I do a free monthly newsletter with various things that I find, some that I prepared and some that I just have run across and found are excellent resources for leaders and executive coaches. So I encourage you to do that. There's a book page on the website that has the best rate on the book. Um, you can also connect with me on Twitter, Pam FR. And I'll have all of that information in the show notes as well so you can stay connected with Pam. And uh, Pam, let's keep talking because I know you're working on other projects too and uh, other things that I, I think will be really valuable to our audience. And I so appreciate your time and coming on the show. And thank you for your leadership and your mentoring of me. I so appreciate just how uh, helpful you were. And uh, I just can't wait to stay connected with you and see all the things you're up to. Thank you so much, Dave. As you know, I enjoy your podcast. You have a lot of neat voices on, and I'm glad to be among them. Thank you. Pam is the author of 42 Rules for Your New Leadership Role, the manual they didn't hand you when you made VP, director, or manager. You can pick it up on Amazon. Pam, thanks again for joining me. Hey, a few housekeeping items here and a final story to leave you with before the end of the episode. But before I get into that, just a couple of uh, reminders. If you want to join in on the conversation about this episode, please visit coachingforleaders.com slash 98. That's for episode 98. That'll take you to the notes for this uh, show. Also to all Pam's contact information we've put up there as well. And uh, hey, by the way, go get Pam's book. It's a great book. Uh, you know, one of the things I love about this book uh, you know, first of all, it's wonderfully reviewed, and there's uh, you know tons of people have said great things about it. I love that it's accessible. It's one of those books that you open up, and each chapter is like two or three pages. It's a great read if you are starting a new leadership role, maybe you've just started one recently, or if you know someone who's in that position right now or just about to be, I'd really encourage you to pick it up. So definitely check that out as well. Hey, you can also submit a comment by voicemail to, uh, you can reach me at 94938learn or email works to feedback at coachingforleaders.com. Hey, a couple of announcements. Uh, first of all, a reminder that episode number 100 is coming up in just a few weeks. This is 98, so two more weeks. Uh, it's the second anniversary of this show. On episode 100, I'm going to be opening it up to you, the audience, and sharing success stories and lessons from community members. That is you. So if you have something you've learned on this show over the last two years or however long you've been listening, or maybe you just like to submit something that you uh, have learned along the way as a leader and you thought thought would be helpful for our audience to hear from, that is great too. So uh, either one you choose, go ahead and either call into the listener feedback hotline and leave a message. And that again is 949-38-LEARN. Or you can actually just do it by computer and go to coachingforleaders.com slash speak. 
and that will take you uh, right to a place where you can record uh, right in your laptop and you know or your home computer and make it uh, make it real easy. And if you end up saying something you've discovered from the show, just uh, tell me one thing you've discovered listening from the show. How'd you apply it? And you know what happened? What was the result? There is a deadline for this. The deadline is August first. 2013. Now, I know that sounds like a long way away, but August is actually just around the corner. Unless, of course, you're listening to this like a month from now, then it will seem like it's in the past. But uh, but do get your submissions in. I'd really love to hear them. Uh, I've got a few already, and I can't wait to share more on the uh, Coaching for Leaders show 100. So thanks in advance for getting those in. Hey, I also wanted to uh, say a, a different thank you this week to the folks who've subscribed to my weekly articles. I realized I haven't really uh, thanked people for doing that uh, f- personally, and I wanted to do that this time around. So thank you to Oksana Lekolod. Uh, oh, Oksana, I know I got your first name pronounced right uh, because we talked, but your last name, uh, I'm not so sure about. I apologize. Uh, Vicky uh, Stiltner, Andreas Yamarillo, uh, Yanira Serrera. Kazi King, Mark Youngblood, uh, someone named Pat. Thank you, Pat. Uh, Brad Freeman, Matt Stewart, Gene Rathbun, Mark Kramer, and Jennifer Sorensen. Uh, thanks for subscribing to the weekly articles in the last month or so. I do send out an email article every week. So if you'd like to get that too, just go to coachingforleaders.com slash subscribe. And also a big thank you to Steve Chase for a nice uh, written review on iTunes. Uh, Steve, I don't remember if I thanked you or not before, but I just saw it in the last uh, week or so here and I'm thinking I didn't. So uh, thank you for doing that. Hey, if this show has been valuable to you as well, please leave a written review on iTunes. You can get there by going to coachingforleaders.com slash iTunes. Hey, uh, one note about Steve, by the way, Steve's got a great blog on how to improve business productivity with documents. And he he's a uh, instructor teaching uh, Microsoft Office and Word and Excel and all that. And he keeps a great blog on just quick tips on how to get the most out of using some of those software applications. So uh, if that's something of value to you, you can check it out at uh, stevechasedocs.wordpress.com. It's, uh, I'll put a link in the show notes. So uh, uh, definitely check him out. He's got some great stuff up there. And uh, you know, one final story before I let you go this week. Uh, I mentioned on the show a few weeks ago that my son Luke and I had traveled back to the Midwest to visit my parents over the Fourth of July holiday here in the states, and we were there about four or five days. And you know, uh, even though I haven't lived with my parents for something like almost twenty years now, uh, there were still a whole bunch of boxes that were left over from when I was in high school and college at my parents' place, and my dad convinced me it was uh, time for those boxes to uh, take up residence in my house. And so they shipped a whole bunch of stuff to us. And, uh, you know, after Luke and I got back and uh, I was going through the boxes this weekend and uh, you know how you do when you're going through some old stuff you haven't seen in a long time. I'm opening up boxes and seeing stuff I haven't seen for 20 years. And I pulled out this picture and it was this picture of me at my junior prom, me and my date. And I got to thinking about the story about that. Uh, When I was a junior in high school, I really wanted to go out uh, on a date with this one particular person. Her name was Jackie. And and it was coming around to the time of year that prom was going on. And we had been, I think, maybe we had been on a date once before, but prom was coming up and I, I really wanted to ask her to prom, but I was just so scared to do it. And uh, and so I chickened out. Uh, I chickened out, and I ended up asking someone who was just kind of a friend. You know, we were just 
going as friends as uh, the term goes. And, and so, you know, I was really happy to be going to the prom because, you know, I was, I was one of those kids that was always pretty shy and just didn't, you know, didn't communicate with girls very well. And so, um, so I got this, you know, I was really excited about going to the prom with, with one of my friends. I was telling everyone about it. And about four days later, she changed her mind and she just decided since we were just going as friends, it was, it was too expensive, too much money to spend, man, talk about a disappointment. You know, your junior prom to have, you know, to ask someone to go with you and, uh, you know, kind of take a, take a little bit of a risk doing it. And then you tell everyone about it and then they say no, and they change their mind. Oh my gosh, what a horrible thing to happen. I was so bummed out. And I remember uh, coming home that night and I was talking to my dad and my dad just listened to the situation and what had happened. And my dad was great. I, I remember like it was happened yesterday, even though it was over 20 years ago. And he just sat there and he listened to me tell the story. And he said, he didn't tell me what to do, but he said, you know, I knew this guy, I think it was in college. He said, I knew this guy in college that always seemed to have dates. And, you know, we all, a bunch of us always noticed this guy always had dates. He always, uh, you know, was going out and having fun and just, you know, it just seemed like no one ever said no to him. And, uh, and he said, you know, one day I just asked him, why is it that, uh, you know, how is it that you always seem to get dates? Why do people always seem to like you? And he said, oh, that's easy. And when someone says no, I just go on to the next person. And I remember my dad telling that story that night. And then I thought about that for that evening and another day or so. And uh, it was either that day or the day after that I decided, you know what, I'm going to go and I'm going to ask that person I wanted to go with originally. And guess what? She said yes. And that was a picture I pulled out of the box over the weekend. Picture of me and her having a great time at the junior prom. And so I was thinking about that in the context of this show and reinventing ourselves. You know, people are going to count us out our entire lives. Sales situations, leadership roles, friends, maybe sometimes even family members. And that's part of being human. But here's my advice to you. Don't count yourself out first. And here's one more piece of advice. I also found a kid's safe when I was uh, looking through my stuff. You know one of those safes you get when you're a kid that just has like one of those fake combinations on it? I was looking through it, thought it just had a whole bunch of old movie tickets on it. There was a little vial in it with one gram of pure gold. Someone got me it for a gift when I was a kid, and it said value $3 on it. Yeah, value $3 on it in 1985. Today, it's worth like 50 bucks. So there's some advice. Anytime you find a safe in your life, don't ever throw it away until you've looked at it, even if it's a kid's safe. And that's the kind of value you get here on the Coaching for Leaders show. Hey, have a great week, everyone. Hey, get those submissions in for episode number 100. I would love to hear from you. Coachingforleaders.com slash speak. Have a great week, everybody.